A meal, for some, is simply food to ingest. For others, it is time to connect with friends and family. But for Jesus, it was an occasion to demonstrate the character of God in surprising ways. It was in the context of a meal that Jesus showed us his heart while others sat around a table with him. You're invited to pull up a chair and prepare to experience Jesus, the dinner guest, sitting across the table as you witness the extraordinary. Because when Jesus came to dinner, it was always more than a meal. All right, good morning. Hey, we're in the dark. This is great. Oh, there we go. So if you're like, if I could just get a little more dark this morning, that would be so good. You made it. I'm proud of you. Let's do this little sample test. How many of you normally are in the first service and kind of cheated, right? All right, good job. Proud of you, okay? I actually was really impressed for service, and we, we said there will be no shame if someone comes walking in at 9 o'clock thinking they're on time, okay? So this service, the same way. If someone's walking in at 10, they're like, hey, glad to see you. Stay around for the next one, all right? That's what we'll do. It always happens. It's all good, and we're just glad you're here today. How many of you like that last song? I love that. Hey! Our, uh, our uh, worship team was talking this morning. Because we're all a little tired, it might have come out more like, hey. <laughs> but man, that's, when you look at the truth of those words, it is, hey, I love it. God, you're here today. My name is Todd Arnett. I'm the lead pastor here at Trinity Church. We are continuing in a series called More Than a Meal. We're in week three. And uh, if you want to do this in your Trinity this week, you have something that looks like this, a blue sheet of paper if you want to get that out. If you have a Bible today, we're going to be in the book of Luke. Luke is the third gospel, so the third book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. And find your way to chapter 10. And uh, we'll, we'll get there in just a second. What we've been doing in this series is we have been looking at uh, really just uh, narratives that had two common things. They have the commonality of food, which is a real draw for me right there. If we're talking about food, I am in. But then secondly, they also, even more of a draw, Jesus. So it's when Jesus sits down at meals with people, and the interesting thing is, is that those are kind of the only two things that are always the same in all of these narratives we'll look at, because what happens at the meal is different every week, different context, different conversation, different type of thing, but here's what is always happening. Jesus is demonstrating the heart of God. We are seeing better who God is as Jesus interacts in this very intimate environment around a meal. And we're excited to invite you as a guest into that environment and to see how Jesus responds to people. And we know every time he shows up at a meal, it's always more than a meal. And we're excited to look at it today with you. Um, you can tell kind of in our decor, we've kind of set up this cafe. We've got the menu up on the board and I uh, love the way our decor team do such a great job at kind of getting us set and getting us uh, dialed in. We're going to look at a passage today that for those of us who have been in church for a long time, it will be familiar to you. But I want to say this, um, I think that this passage is, I know this, is often taught through a lens of what we'd say being and doing being and doing in the contrast. And, and I have taught this passage through the same lens. But as I was looking over this passage this week in preparation for today, I honestly think that though that issue is there in the text, it's not the main issue. 
It's not the most important significance of what we're going to read today in Luke chapter 10. And, and by the way, you need to know when I say things like that, I am apprehensive to say such. The church has been teaching Luke chapter 10 for about 2,000 years. I don't want to introduce unorthodox teaching that nobody's ever heard before. But I think as we begin to walk this out, you will see the same thing I saw. Let me do this. Let me just read the text to you today and we'll see this, this other issue within the, the narrative that it's communicating. Luke 10, beginning in verse 38, it says, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Here's where we're going to go today. Look at our now what statement. It's on the screens and in your notes. When you understand who Jesus is, you prioritize sitting at his feet. Let's dive in. In your notes today, number one, Jesus valued women and invited them to follow him. Jesus valued women and invited him to follow him. Invited them, I'm sorry, to follow him. Let, let me read those first couple of verses again. Chapter 10, verse 38 is, Jesus and his disciples were on their way. He came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary and who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Let's unpack a couple things. First off, for those of us who've heard this story, this is a narrative of Mary and Martha is usually the way that we refer to it. And, and within this, that you'll note that there's actually another house, not guest, but like a, a, a dweller, someone who actually lives in this house who's not even mentioned. It's the house of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, okay, Lazarus. And this is very early in Jesus's ministry. So the things we're going to find out later about Lazarus, even being risen from the dead, have not even begun to happen at this segment. This is very early. So here's my point. Luke is recording this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And when he writes down the people who live at and as it were own the house, he doesn't even mention the man. Now, first century, that's a big deal. This is the home of Mary and Martha. I'd tell you about Lazarus, but in this narrative, he's not that important. Now, for our sake, that doesn't really do much for us. It doesn't hit us in any unique way. But in the first century, people would have been somewhat alarmed that why aren't you mentioning Lazarus? He's the, quote, man of the house. And here's my point. I think this actually plays to what we'll see all throughout this narrative today about the way that Jesus values women. Martha, when Jesus came into her home, she upodecomide him, okay? So Greek word, it means to receive under her roof. And it literally means that, upo, under the roof, decomai. So to receive under the roof idea. So within this, uh, she was able to bring Jesus in, wanted to bring him in to take care of all of his needs. You know, hospitality is obviously a big deal to us. We count that important. Nothing, though, like the first century in the Middle East, Hospitality was huge. You would never turn a stranger away, nonetheless a guest, an honored, esteemed guest like Jesus, and you would go way out of your way to make sure his needs were taken care of and to really serve him well. 
So Martha understood that, and that's exactly what we're going to see Martha doing. But watch this. What was Mary doing? Mary, it said, sat at the feet of Jesus. I want you to see this is very powerful because it's the very same phrase that Paul will use later when he will say that he studied under a rabbi. Look at this. Acts chapter 22, verse 3. Paul's sharing his story. He's telling his testimony. And he says this. I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel. That's the same phraseology I studied under. Now, you have to remember, Paul was a Jew of Jews. Paul, when we read his pedigree in Philippians 3, this was a guy who incredibly was on this fast track of religion. And so the idea is he became a Pharisee while studying under a Pharisee, under a rabbi named Gamaliel. That's important because what we're saying is the pathway to being a disciple, that would be the word, Paul was a disciple of Gamaliel before he ever came to Christ. That's the same terminology of who Mary was to Jesus. Mary was in every sense of the word, a disciple, a follower, a sitting at the feet of a rabbi named Jesus. Now, to you and me, that might be somewhat important, but you have to understand in the first century, no women were allowed to follow rabbis. This is incredibly exceptional, incredibly extraordinary. And you and I have been reading our New Testaments for years right over this idea that Mary was invited to be a disciple. Nobody else, no other rabbis would have had this. It's true, the 12 disciples, all men, had a unique relationship to Jesus, but never was a woman excluded from having a connection, from being a follower. Eight women are mentioned in the New Testament by name as being those who followed Jesus, who were his disciples. No other rabbis had women followers. Jesus completely worked outside of the cultural norms. Look at this in your notes. Women weren't allowed the kind of access to rabbis and weren't afforded the option of being disciples in any context. This was not true of Jesus. He acted completely differently than what the norm would have been. Jesus valued all people and welcomed women to follow him just as much as men. For so many additional reasons, Paul wrote these groundbreaking words to the church of Galatia. Chapter 3, verse 28, he says, There is no, neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul wasn't saying those things don't exist. He's saying they're actually all found within this local community of Jesus followers, but what they aren't any longer are areas of exclusion. No longer do we keep people at arm's length. And who would have been kept at arm's length in all of those scenarios? The Gentile, the slave, and the female. Paul says, Jesus came and all those barriers fell down. Though they still exist, they're not a reason that we exclude people. They're not a reason we keep people out. They are all welcome into Jesus' body, the church. I want to tell you what I thought was a very powerful story. I heard from a friend this week about another friend, so I'm going to give you a couple layers out. But anyways, this, this person was telling me about a follower of Jesus who was talking to the leader a high-level leader of another religion that does not believe Jesus to be the only way to God. So see this scenario. Believer 
talking to a high-level religious leader of another religion who does not view Jesus as the Lord and Savior. They're having a conversation. And the conversation actually wasn't about, per se, Jesus and who he was. It was about how they treat their wives. And in this conversation of how they value women, it was so impressive where this high-ranking leader of this other religious group said to the believer, the way that you value and treat women, the way you treat your wife is an example to us because we don't begin to value women like you do. What was this Christian man doing? Simply following the example Jesus had left. Simply following the writings that his church had given in the New Testament of how to treat highly valued members of the image of God, image bearers, women and men alike. So ladies, I want you to hear clearly from me today, Jesus loves and values you. Now, that's good. And, and you, oh, thank you, Todd. In Southern California, that's about what that is. But watch this. What's that mean when a woman in Africa hears those words? What's that mean when a woman in the Middle East hears those words? What's that mean when a woman like Mary in the first century in the Middle East heard those words? That's called life-changing. A new kind of value they had never known. In regards to current movements in our culture here in our neck of the woods, movements like the Me Too movement, other movements that are talking about the sinful behavior of people towards women. I want you to understand something clearly. We have a seat at that table because it was our leader who first said, women are to be valued. Women are to be honored. Women are to be respected. Long before Hollywood ever, government, colleges, whoever is on this campaign. And by the way, I am glad that we are talking about these issues. I am glad that women being honored and respected is being bubbled to the top. Why? Because I follow Jesus. And he is glad. Because these are the things that he is about. Image bearers being treated with honor. I want you to see this. Look at the way that women are not only ministered to or ministries for here at Trinity Church. But I want you to also see, because there are many, but I also want you to see the way that women are valued at Trinity Church, even in leaders, leadership roles, where their voices are heard, where their impact is made, where their influence is felt. We very much want to be consistent with the example and the teachings of Jesus and Jesus honored and loved women greatly. He invited them to follow him, and so do we. Never mistake that. Number two in your notes today, you question Jesus' care when you're pursuing your own agenda rather than his. You end up questioning Jesus' care when you pursue your own agenda rather than his. Back to our text, Luke chapter 10, verse 40. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him, came to Jesus and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Tell her to help me. Martha was distracted. That is the Greek word, perispao. 
Perispao, it, it literally means to be dragged all around. But figuratively, it means to be over-occupied, to be way too busy. And then when, I heard, when you just heard me say that, you said, oh, I'm Perispao. I'm over-busy. I'm over-worried about too many things. And by the way, doesn't Perispao look a lot like the English word perspire? What are you sweating about? We even heard that phrase, don't sweat about it, right? That's what this is saying. That's what this Greek word's about. Mary was sweat, or Martha, I'm sorry, was sweating. Probably very literally and figuratively. Very worried about many things, distracted. I wanted to ask this question. I asked at first service. There was a smattering of honest people. I feel some probably held back. This is church, folks, okay? Let's be honest. How many of you ever had this fleeting thought, or maybe you began to dwell on it and just made you really mad? You're out on your way to work, okay? It's 7.38 in the morning, whatever time you're going to work. You're on your way to work, and you see somebody out doing something healthy. They're out running. They're out walking. They're doing something healthy, and you've had this thought. You've watched them go by, and you thought, I wish I had time to be healthy. (laughs) Some people work for a living, I bet when they're done, they're going to go back and hang out in the hot tub, you know, all day, right? How, how many of you ever had that thought? Come on. Come on. All right, keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. Look at that. We are not alone, okay? I thought for sure. I was a little nervous sharing that today. I thought, dear God, if nobody's ever thought that before, you're going to look like such a fool. You get it. You feel my pain. And it's that. By the way, that's, I think, what Martha was doing. Mary, it must be nice to get to sit down there at the feet of Jesus while I'm working for him. Perspiring. Being worried about many things. But I want you to see this. See what Martha's chief concern was. It wasn't even about how much work Mary was doing or not. But it's that Jesus didn't care. That Jesus, and this is this Greek word, didn't especially pay attention. By the way, powerful. I did not intend this. Last week, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, look at it on the screen. I mentioned this verse when we were walking through the feeding of the 5,000 and had no idea two of these words are also in this text. Key words. Words like cares. I bolded it for you. Remember we said this? It, it's really not best read as cast your cares as though it's an imperative. It's more like a, a pre-done idea. Having cast having cast all your anxiety on him. Why? How can you do this? Because he cares. Because he especially pays attention to you. Martha's questioning that. Jesus, don't you especially pay attention to me? Don't you care that Mary has left me all to myself? She had an essential distrust in the care of Jesus Even though she had invited Jesus into her home to care for his needs, she's now questioning if Jesus is going to care for hers. Question to you, have you ever had a time like that? Have you ever had a time when you have wondered, Jesus, I have so many plates spinning. I have such a load that I'm under, I wonder if you even care. I wonder if you even know what I'm going through. When we put it in those terms, all of a sudden we realize we can relate to Martha a whole lot. 
Because we've asked the same question. Jesus, do you even care? Do you even know? By the way, what happens when that sense of questioning God caring for you, what happens when that allows to remain? It leads to discouragement. Absolutely leads to discouragement. Ray Johnson was with us a few weeks ago and then led this event called Thrive. And at Thrive, I remember he was in a Q&A. He talked a little bit about burnout. Let me make sure you understand. When I say the word burnout, let me at least define it from how I'm saying it and how I know Ray meant it that day. Burnout doesn't mean tired. Burnout doesn't mean exhausted. Burnout means, just think of it, a candle that has started the flame and is now at the bottom and it's extinguished. It's gone. If you've experienced burnout before, you know what it's similar to is not a walk, but a crawl. It flattens you out, and you just wonder if you could ever, not just tomorrow, ever move forward. So Ray said this, the the conversation was, how do you keep from burnout? How do you guard against that? And the thing that Ray shared was this, it was interesting, I thought. He said, you know, the times when I have faced discouragement I have found, and he shared that with us the day he was here, we talked about hope, the antithesis of of discouragement. He said that discouragement is often the headwaters to burnout. So discouragement left to remain in our lives long enough becomes ultimately burnout. And he said the reason, what's fascinating is, the times of burnout in his life, the types of deep discouragement, weren't necessarily the times when he was the most busy. Even though that adds to a sense of exhaustion, he said, there's been times in my life when my calendar has been completely chocked full, but I've been so energized by what I'm doing. I found such a joy in the Lord in those times. It hasn't led to discouragement. It hasn't led to burnout. But he said, there's been other times when my calendar was much less, but where I questioned if God cared. And those were the times that led me to discouragement and burnout. I found that to be powerful to hear that though too many things is often a big part of the problem, it's not the only problem. Questioning if God even cares is really probably the biggest. I want you to see something in this text. Martha goes and does something like the 12 did last week. Remember the 12, what they say to Jesus? Hey, it's late. We're tired. The crowds are tired. Before they turn into a mob, send them away. It's an imperative verb. They're telling Jesus what to do. So here's Martha. Tell my sister to get in the kitchen. It does not go well when we tell Jesus what to do. I'm just telling you. It does not go well. And Martha's going to experience this as well. Now, the interesting thing is, why didn't she just tell Mary herself to get in the kitchen? Did you ever think about that? She had, she had vocal cords. She could have said, hey, Mary, snap to it. You know, I'm here by myself. No, no, she appeals to Jesus. Why? Because she doesn't think Jesus cares in the first place. And maybe the measure of his care for her is that he'll send Mary to help. Really what I'm wondering, Jesus, is maybe not even the help in the kitchen. I'm just, again, wondering if you even care. Are you even paying attention? Here's the thing I really want you to see today. Of all the scenario, we've, we've kind of laid out the context. You know what's going on in the narrative. Of everything that's going on, I think the one piece we miss every time we read this narrative, every time I had read it, is we're missing this huge, blinking, 
bright neon light that I put in your notes. It's a simple question. Who is in your house, Martha? Who's in your house? The creator of the universe, the savior of the world, Messiah himself is in your living room and you're in the kitchen. The one-of-a-kind son of God is there and inviting you to his feet and you're in the other room. Did you know that in the narrative, Martha never says, I wish Mary would come in so I could get a turn at Jesus' feet. She never once asked for that. She simply says, Jesus, I have an agenda. Jesus, I have a task list. Jesus, you're not helping me get done what I need done. I'm not interested in sitting at your feet. Who has time for that? I need these things done. Now, all of a sudden, we read that and we go, oh, Lord, what am I to do with that? How many times have I been so consumed with what I think is so important and failed to realize that the Savior of the world invites me to his feet. I wonder if Martha had never even processed the fact, maybe this was so bizarre that Jesus would let women at his feet study under him, be disciples in the first place. She didn't feel worthy. She didn't feel, think it was even an option that was available, yet her sister understood it. Her sister came to his feet and said, Jesus, I have one life Jesus, I don't know how long, how many opportunities like this I'm going to get. I'm not missing out. I'm sitting at your feet, and I believe the work's going to get done. Question, have you ever asked, did Jesus need Martha to clean the kitchen? Did Jesus need Martha to make the the food? He just fed 10,000 people last week. I'm pretty sure he could have covered dinner. But did Martha ever even ask? I I have a plan. Jesus, I have a to-do list. And sitting at your feet is way low on the list, if there at all. I've got these other things that are pressing that need more attention. In your notes, you don't make the decision to follow Jesus and then expect him to follow you. You don't make the decision to follow Jesus and then expect him to follow you. Those are strong words. You would never utter those. Jesus, I've come to follow you with my life, to be your disciple. I've got an agenda. Come and help me. But while you and I would never say them, we do them. We live exactly like that. Jesus, I have an agenda. I have a task list. I have to-do lists. I need you to help me get these done without ever bothering to say, Jesus, what's on your list? Jesus, what is going on at your feet? Jesus, how do I prioritize the savior of the world before I prioritize anything else? This is how it plays out in real life ways for us. It's the car that you bought. It's the car you never talked to God about buying first. 
And then now once you have, you're in a tough spot financially, and it's now those prayers. God, I know I never talked to you about the car, but I need some extra income to be able to pay for the payments. I need you to deliver. It's this one. Students, I'll kind of look your way for a second. Jesus, it's this guy. Jesus, it's this girl. I've been smitten. I've fallen in love with him, with her. Now, they don't love Jesus yet. I need you to make that happen because I want to spend the rest of my life with them. It's saying, I have an ailment with my body. Things aren't working how they're supposed to work. And that is keeping me from doing the things I would like to do. It's keeping me from my task list, my to-dos, when yet if I stop and process, maybe this thing I'm going through is actually creating the most perfect environment for me to sit and be still at the feet of Jesus. But Jesus, I would rather not do your thing. I have a list. Here's the thing, as long as you do this, as long as you are trying to turn Jesus into the genie in the bottle, trying to get him, if you just rub that lamp right, to get him to bless your plans, watch this, you will be forever frustrated. And I want to tell you why. It's not because Jesus is a bad guy, it's not because he doesn't like you, I want to, and it just answers the exact question Martha was asking. I want to tell you why Martha was begging the question, why don't you care? Why doesn't Jesus, Jesus does care. Jesus just knows what's best for you and it's not your agenda. He's not going to be part of helping you accomplish what's not in your best interest. That is the loving God that he is. So instead, as you get frustrated in the kitchen, as you're sweating over much, Jesus is going to help you understand what does matter most. And that's how we finish today. Number three, Jesus knows that being with him is what we need most. Jesus knows that being with him is what we need most. Verse 41, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things, really only one thing indeed is needed. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. It says that Martha was worried. Martha was anxious. Look again at this verse. This is what's powerful to me about 1 Peter 5, 7. Martha's living in direct opposite uh, behaviors, as this verse says. First of all, she's wondering if Jesus even cares for her. We've already seen that. But now it says, cast all of your worries, all of your upsetness, all of your anxiety on him. This is the same Greek word from 1 Peter 5 that we find in Luke 10. Martha is the antithesis of what 1 Peter 5, 7 is saying. And while on the one hand, it seems like we're on the Martha shame trail today, the problem is how many of us identify with Martha? Like all of us. We're acting, when we act like Martha, we're acting to the exact opposite of what Peter would tell a hurting, a, a scattered church, having cast all of your anxiety, all your trouble on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Mary, conversely, had chosen a different approach. She focused on one thing. I want you to watch the contrast. Martha was troubled by many things. Mary chose one thing. See that? 
Martha troubled by many. Yep, yep. Mary focused, chose one. I want you to see three quick things about that, that dialogue. First off, although Martha is troubled by a lot of things, only one thing is needed or required. So meaning this, Jesus is giving a message of simplicity or a priority. Now, when you hear that, I know, I know, because I hear the same thing. When you hear it's only really about one thing, I know inside you're going, Todd, come back to the real world. Right? I mean, this is the way. This is the way only one thing can happen. If we all move out to the woods and live in the bunker. Okay? If we go out to the hills, live in the bunker, then we can focus on the one thing. Why? Because we don't have all the other worries and cares. Jesus did not mean to say that you can focus on one thing when you get rid of everything. But he did say... You can focus on one thing when you focus first on me. When you begin your priorities with me at the top rather than me somehow fitting into the mix, then you can really work from one thing. Mary, it said, had chosen that thing to sit at the feet of Jesus. That word chosen, it means to select or choose out of. It's a highly deliberate choice. By the way, Mary had multiple options too. Could have been in the kitchen with Martha. Could have been entertaining other people around the lake. She had lots of things she could have been doing. She chose, deliberately chose to sit at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus said that choice would not be taken from her. Now, in that moment in time of Jesus teaching and her being at his feet, that would not be taken. But watch this. Even though the fact that Jesus' ministry would be no more than three years, Even the fact that he would die on a cross for Mary's sin would not separate Mary from Jesus because it was only three days later that Jesus rose from the dead. And this is how Jesus finished the conversation in Matthew 28. I will be with you even to the end of the age. We will not be separated. Choose me and you'll choose the thing that won't be taken away from you. Jesus reminds Martha that the most important thing for her, a follower of Jesus, is to sit at his feet, to draw near, and the other tasks and demands will fall into place behind that priority. Let's get real today, and let's finish this way. How does that work? Let's, let's just get real for a second. How is that going to work this week? I'm not sure Jesus is going to show up physically in your living room. That would be really cool. And by the way, if he does, would you please call me? I will drop whatever I'm doing and I will get there. But that same Jesus, this same Jesus from Luke 10, he invites you to draw near. He invites you to his feet this week. A lot of you are here very typically on Sunday mornings, which is awesome. This is a great spiritual shot in the arm, but it's not intended to be the only time you're with Jesus throughout the week. There are six other days. And I would encourage you, encourage you, encourage you to find a way, meaning a method that you can get into the word of God and keep getting to know this Jesus. Some of us would say, if we're just honest for a minute, looking in the mirror, we'd say, Todd, I've tried that. Either A, I do it for a little while and it just kind of falls apart. Or B, I'm just, it's kind of stale. 
if I'm just going to be real honest. I was sharing with someone between services today. It's kind of maybe, maybe going to rock some of your worlds. I have felt that for the last two and a half years. And I was telling him that they have been in some ways the most exciting two and a half years of my life. All of the things that God was doing to let me close a door where I was and for him to open one here. Amazing opportunities, amazing people, amazing to see God on the move. But in my own soul, it has probably taken more work than I can remember. So I want to share something with you. I've tried some new things. I'm a big fan of the phrase, if you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to keep getting what you're getting. It's true positively and negatively, right? So I realized about partway through in this initial part of the season, I just need to mix it up. I needed to do something different. I've told you before that the devotional time I'm doing right now is with an app that I love. It's called Read Scripture. It can't get any more clear than that. And it's just reading through the Bible a few chapters a day. But what I love, it's taking the Bible Project videos and dropping those in and giving me a big picture idea of an entire book before I begin reading it. I have loved this method. It's on every app on every phone. You can easily find it. Another thing that I did during a time of dryness, I said, you know, I just got to do something different. And you know what helps me sometimes? A great devotional author. God has used Max Lucado in my life in some really cool times. He does this great thing of talking about the heart of God and connecting it to the pain of people. And they meet somewhere in the middle and it just drives me to love Jesus more. Pick up a book, pick up something to kickstart the love that you have for a God who loves you so much. And rather than wallow, rather than be stuck, Rather than be stalled in dryness, do something different. Let there be a catalyst, but don't leave the feet of Jesus. It's too important. Secondly, embrace this verse we've looked at today from 1 Peter 5, 7. Embrace this idea, having cast all my crazy Martha-ness, right? That's what this is saying. Having cast all of these anxieties that fracture, by the way, that's what that word means. To be divided, to be fractured, take all, in, all my fracturedness and putting it on Jesus. Why? Because I know he cares for me. I can do that. You can do that in the times when you're wondering if he even is paying attention. And thirdly, within that, what can you do this week? What are things that this actually can play out like? I would just encourage you, create the space. I was rereading over Ephesians uh, 4, uh, 5, I'm sorry, where it talks about be being filled with the Spirit. And in that verse, we looked at it in our first series together. We talked about the idea what that text is saying. It's kind of a passive verb. So what it's saying is create the space for God to fill God's there, the indwelling of, your, in, of God's spirit is within every believer, but how much control, how much leadership the spirit of God has in your life wildly is up to you. <laughs> if you and I were God, we wouldn't give each other that grace. We just plow it and say, I know best. <clears throat> By the way, that's what we do for our kids often. I know what's best. <clears throat> is what we're gonna do. God knows best, but he doesn't, overcome our will. 
and gives us the ability to want him. Here's the wild thing. Not only, look at your notes. Not only is this true for me that I need to sit at the feet of Jesus. Watch this. The people, Jesus is not only who I need the most, but the people in my relational world, that's who they need the most. Jesus is not only the person I need to spend the most time with, most time at his feet, but so do the people in my world. That's why we fill out cards like these. Cards where we put our relational world on this card because here's the wild thing. You can't make the people in your relational world fall at the feet of Jesus. He'll do that. But what you can do is pray for them. What you can do is make introductions and then let Jesus do the rest. That's up to him. But we definitely have a role. We definitely have this wonderful opportunity to be a part of people coming to know him and follow him and sit at his feet. I want to finish with this today. Maybe one of the most profound parts of this whole narrative doesn't even happen in this narrative. Luke chapter 10, relatively early in Jesus's ministry, we'll finish today by fast forwarding to the end of Jesus's ministry. This is literally the last week of his life before he's crucified on a cross And what I want you to hear before we even look at it, I want you to hear this. Martha needed more than one. Needed more than one correction of Jesus before she got it. And in some weird way, that should be encouraging to us. Look at this, John chapter 12, verse one. Six days before the Passover, the beginning of Jesus's last week, Jesus came to Bethany where, oh, there he is, where Lazarus lived whom Jesus had raised from the dead. This is how late this is. Lazarus has already been dead and back again by the time this is happening. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Watch this. Martha. Martha served. Martha did the same stuff she did in Luke chapter 10. While Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him, watch this, then Mary, Mary, her sister, Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus's what? She's still at his feet. She poured it on his feet and wiped her feet with her hair, wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. It's fascinating. Two different narratives, and yet the characters are acting just like they did the first time. Martha, serving. Mary, sitting at the feet of Jesus. Worshiping, responding to his great love. I want to encourage you. You have heard this message before. I'm not the first to bring it. You didn't respond that time. Maybe today's the day. Maybe today's the day where you say, Jesus, I want to hand over my plan and I really just want to sit at your feet. Because when you recognize who he is, this is our now what statement, when you recognize who Jesus is, is, you prioritize sitting at his feet. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you so much for you being a God who cares. I want to thank you so much that you know indeed what is best for us and it's not our list and you refuse. 
you refuse to help us get done what we think matters most because those things don't. And you draw us to you. You invite us to your feet to know you, to hear from you, to listen to your agenda. Father, we need this badly because we're a very busy people. Some of us very busy doing our own things and even some of us busy thinking we're doing your things. But either way, you've called us from the kitchen into the living room and you've said, sit at my feet, be with me, draw near. You may be here today and you would say, I've never drawn near to Jesus. I've never responded to his invitation to know him, his invitation to be forgiven, his invitation to be made right with God. And I want to tell you great news. There's no class you have to go through. There's no hoops to jump in. It's simply right here, right now saying, Jesus, I admit. I admit that I am a sinner who needs a savior. I admit I've lived life on my terms, not on yours. I admit I've been holding on to my agenda my whole life. And I am indeed over busy and tired. Would I today lay my agenda at your feet? And would I do that by be believing, believing that you lived a sinless life, believing that you died a sacrificial death, believing that you were raised supernaturally on the third day? Would I believe you're the only savior available? So yes and see, Lord, I choose. I choose to follow your footprints. I choose to follow the example you have laid out for me. And it begins with prioritizing being at your feet. Father, help us this week to live this out and watch the way you change us from the inside out. We love you and we pray in the great, powerful, worthy name of Jesus. Amen.